over to uh, okay. over to you, Ajay. All right, thanks, thanks, guys. So uh, <clears throat> this is really a kind of uh, I've, I've I've been writing notes for the last several weeks that we've done chapter six and. I just threw all, most of it in some shape or form into a few pages. Um, I know we kind of did this over October, November, and then we had a month long break. So hopefully this would be a refresher of everything that we've gone through, or at least some of what we've gone through, certainly not everything. Uh, so what I did was, I, I mean, I, this is also just to acknowledge uh, a, a, a compilation of uh, what we discussed and what I have heard uh, from Swami P and Swami SPG. So I've, you know, liberally borrowed from a lot of the analysis and wisdom that they have, they have given us. <clears throat> so, so one, one of the things that really caught my attention was, uh, you know, how the whole dhyana or meditation, as we call it, and the whole process of Ashtanga Yoga are uh, sort of correlated. And before we get into it, I just wanted to kind of, uh, you know, introduce the, 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 the fact that, you know, the two are very different philosophies, yet their practices are quite similar. And where the philosophies are different is that yoga really kind of says that meditation is a culmination into a sort of thoughtless state, which then going forward leads to liberation. And, and obviously this is more nuanced than the way I'm putting it. Whereas Vedanta does not subscribe to that thought where... Uh, you know, yoga says it's a thoughtless state of mind, but uh, as far as Vedanta is concerned, even the idea of uh, a sangha or, or sakshi is also a thought, which is kind of a vritti in the mind. So, you know, uh, so that's one one big difference. And of course, the other one is that uh, Vedanta kind of emphasizes that knowledge is a precondition to liberation where yoga does not. So this is at a high level of this far more nuance than the way I'm putting it, but uh, I just wanted to kind of lay it out there. Uh, if you'd go down, Rajesh, to the next uh, next slide. Uh, right. So before we get into the details of chapter six, I thought I'll kind of just write, you know, put down what is dhyana. Uh, and at a high level, it is a state of mind where we are, uh, there is no concept of the desh kalavastu bandha that we have as as in the material world. Uh, so kind of transitioning from that material world to a to a to a uh, kind of a unbound sort of uh, state of mind is is what what dhyana is. It's also useful to kind of uh, you know pull down what dhyana is not. Uh, so first of all, from Vedanta perspective, uh, it is not prescribed for knowledge. Knowledge is through the six pramanas, and meditation isn't one of them, as we know. And the pramanas is something which uh, Alpana had given us chapter and verse on uh, in one of our sessions, right? Uh, the second is that dhyana is not prescribed for uh, extraordinary or mystical experiences, recognizing that they are within a finite uh, realm of time, uh, bound by time. So that is also in the nature of an object or an atma. Uh, and, and experiences arrive and depart, but the self is, uh, is, is a constant. So dhyana is also not prescribed for extraordinary experiences or mystical experiences. So Vedanta says liberation is through knowledge, not through meditation. And 
the purpose of meditation is actually related to to knowledge to the extent that meditation is useful or it is prescribed to prepare you prepare you to absorb imbibe and assimilate the knowledge that vedanta uh, prescribes what is the there are different forms of uh, of dhyana and karma yoga which is really the right action and the right attitude is a precondition to be able to practice meditation in the right uh, right manner uh, the the three or four if you will components of or types of dhyanas are the first one is upasana where you're basically uh, praying to a saguna ishwar and you are preparing yourself to become eligible to receive the gyan and uh, and and sadhana chatushtayam is is prescribed as a as a tool to be able to be to be able to do effective upasana the second part is around shravana and mananam uh, and they could you the several people who break this into two parts uh, this is based on the on the upadeshas or the vedas uh, and what is interesting is that and something that we've all sort of been through you know when we start reading the vedas you know the first you know thought that comes to mind is that this is not possible asambhavana you know the fact that i am not this body is in the first sort of analysis a asambhavana and the shravana is meant to remove that asambhavana right so you kind of get to a point where you say okay well this could be right uh this manana is really around the reflection and what it is meant to do is to remove the viparit bhavana where we kind of are told we are not the body and mind but then we are not able to kind of convince ourselves in our mind saying no no this cannot be true right and so that's kind of a interesting sort of way to look at what is the purpose of shravana and what is the purpose of manana and then the last piece is around nididhyasana which is what is also referred to as vedantic meditation uh, where you receive the gyanam gyan in shravana and manana but how do we establish ourselves in that gyan how do we assimilate that knowledge and we get to a point where there is a sort of kind of acceptance this nishtha uh, and there is no doubt uh, the word for that in sanskrit is nish nishamshaya no shamshaya or no doubt around that knowledge uh, and if you look at the transition when you do upasana it is really saguna ishvar dhyanam whereas when you get to the vedantic meditation meditation it is it is nirguna ishvar dhyanam uh swami p kind of puts this in a very interesting way he says shravana and manana is like a like a you know if in the good old days it's like a vcr where you record all the all the information and you absorb it absorb what a guru tells you whereas nididhyasana is essentially a vcr where you're replaying it and uh, replaying it over and over again until it becomes uh, a kind of reality and he kind of jokingly says often the vcp when you do the vcp it might be blank so then you go back to shravana and manana and 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 re kind of start that process <laughs> i think the last point on this page is around the fact that look our true nature is that we are siddh vastu in the in the real sense i mean that is the reality except that we are we have got this covering of of uh, the body mind and belief that we are we are we are that body mind uh and so it's not about sort of finding something new it's a matter of owning up to our true nature and 
And that is kind of what liberation is. It's not finding something, but uncovering what is already the truth. So that's kind of some context around meditation. Uh, so if I move to the next page, uh, uh, Rajesh. Sorry, this slide is crazily busy. My apologies. But what I wanted to do on this page was to, on the left, what you see is the Ashtanga Yoga, the eight limbs, uh, which go from bottom to top, the Yama Niyamas, and then all the way up to Samadhi. And on the right, I've got some notes which relate to chapter six, which I, which I wrote down. And then uh, I wanted to see how we can sort of uh, converge the two. So I'm going to start at the bottom, right? The bottom is really the five yama, yam, yamas, which are essentially, you could call them don'ts, your social behavior, whatever you want to call it, right? But they are really kind of things that you don't do. And then you've got the five niyamas, which are the vidhis or the personal disciplines, which are kind of do's. This is our day-to-day -day life, right? And, and, you know, we've kind of been through this, but essentially this is defined as bahiranga sadhana, which is like an outward, uh, you know, behavior, if you will. So if you look at these 10 commandments, essentially they prescribe how we should live our day-to-day -day life. How do we spend our 23 and a half hours in the day uh, if you leave aside, you know, half an hour for, 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 for meditation, right? And, and they are relatively simple and easy to understand. You know, the, the don'ts are you don't do any violence, you don't speak lies, you don't uh, possess anything that's not legit. Uh, you practice brahmacharyam. And very interestingly, brahmacharyam is actually uh, a sandhi of the word brahma and vichara. So brahmacharya is essentially kind of not having an appropriate attitude to the opposite sex. And, and the last one is also interesting, which is do not possess things that you don't need. And that is kind of the genesis of the whole concept of Dhanam. And today's Shakranti, of course, and in Shakranti, Shakranti, everyone, you know, you're supposed to do Dhanam, but that's really an, really an integral part of, of the Ten Commandments in the Ashtanga Yoga. And on the other side, on the Niyamas, you know, you stay clean, you, you make sure you're contented, you do self-study of the scriptures, you maintain an austere living, and most importantly, uh, you are surrendered to the will of God uh, and the whole concept of Shranagati, right? So that's kind of the base, the 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 day-to-day -day sort of lifestyle that, or, or things that will determine your day-to-day -day lifestyle, right? So that's kind of the, the 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 base, which is effectively, if you look at our chapter six, you know, your first. Uh, you know, 15 or 17 verses cover cover a lot of these aspects, right? And then if you go further up to the three uh, middle ones, which is asana, pranayama, and pratyahara, uh, there are eight uh, things prescribed in chapter six, which are essentially things that you do in preparation for meditation. Uh, and and I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but Essentially, it talks about, you know, you know, being in a clean place, you know, doing it at a particular time, making sure you're seated comfortably, uh, you've got the right sort of posture, uh, you're doing, you're relaxed, you're not agitated, uh, you have sense control, you're a sangha, which means that, you know, your mind is withdrawn from the material world, 
And you, the last one I think is very important because you need to have that intellectual conviction that what you're doing is, is, is valuable to you, right? Uh, so that's the middle part, which is what's covered in, a, in, in about uh, six or seven verses uh, in chapter six, I think 610 to 615. And then what is the most interesting is when you look at the top, uh, top of the pyramid, where you've got dharana, dhyana, and samadhi, right? And it's it's very very sort of interesting because this is this is really at the core of of nididhyasana, right? Where you do three things really, right? One is you you point your mind to a object, ishtadevta, something that is the object of meditation. So dharana is essentially one pointedness. That's that's where you start. Dhyana is nothing but once you've pointed yourself to the, to one place you just retain your focus onto that object of meditation right and you do it for a length of time it could be 10 minutes it could be 40 minutes it doesn't matter but the more important thing is to retain the focus as much as possible now an important element that is to be is to be considered is that it does not mean that you are in a state of thoughtlessness you are basically allow, allowing thoughts to flow, except that you're making sure those thoughts are similar. So in, in Sanskrit, it's called sajatiya pratyayaha pravaha, uh, as opposed to vijatiya. Vijatiya is different thoughts. Uh, so you have similar thoughts flowing very smoothly, like as if you know oil is flowing. And essentially, it helps you collect your mind and you start to get into a state of intense focus which is essentially nothing but samadhi. Now, <clears throat> samadhi is essentially you're focused on your object of meditation. It could be Shiva, it could be Rama, it could be Krishna or whoever, right? But when you do samadhi, uh, the distinction between object and subject is still there. So it is actually called savik savikalpaka samadhi, right? Because the there are two sort of things that, there are two separate things, if you will, right? And doing the Savikalpaka uh, Samadhi requires a certain willpower and a deliberate sort of action or focus, right? Having done all of this, the final culmination of all this is that you get into this state where the differentiation between the object and the subject is sort of not manifest. And you start to kind of repeat a mantra or a japa involuntarily kind of sahaj samadhi which is like it just comes easy easily to you and eventually it gets to a point where you are kind of in this nirvikalp samadhi where you know it's 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 a, it's it's like a nirguna ishvara sort of state and that is sort of the ultimate goal from the ashtanga yoga point of view that you get to a state of nirvikalp samadhi uh, and you know there's a good example that Essentially, it's like a flame in a closed container, which is steady, which, which is focused, doesn't move. And the question is, how do we engage that mind in a way that the thoughts are totally sort of focused on that one object of, uh, of meditation? So in a way, the whole sort of you know, process of meditation is to move from uh, an atma karavritti, which is uh, vritti of the material objects and world, to a akhandakara vritti, which is that one single reality. Uh, 
so 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 this is like how kind of the whole the whole ashtanga yoga which is used as a tool to focus and get into the state of meditation and how it relates to what we've what we've captured in chapter 6 and i'm just looking at sort of is there anything that i else i wanted to mention but i think that's good so so this is really coming out of something which i really really liked uh, this is i think in in the in 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 shlokas 18 to 23 where swami p talks about seven definitions of samadhi as to what is the what is that culmination when 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 we say samadhi what does it where does it lead you to and there are seven beautiful sort of phrases that he he summarizes and i've i've put them on the slide uh, the first one is that once you're in a state of samadhi then you have what is called chitta uparamanam which is a complete tranquility and relaxed mind right so that's kind of the first sort of definition or outcome or culmination of samadhi the second is anatma sorry atmana darshan which is really getting into that state of purnatvam uh, where you are your true self and there is nothing else but brahman the third one is uh, atyantika sukham which is maximum ananda because this is what he calls the limitless happiness that we all seek which is born out of out of uh, out of knowledge and that is not that he kind of specifically mentions is different from the experiential joy which is still in the material world right uh, the fourth one is around tatva nishta nishta wherein you are absorbed in atma at all times uh, and he uses the example of you know cycling in a busy street where you can just cycle and you know pass through all sorts of obstacles without thinking you know how you do it right so the whole sort of the, the fact that you know you are kind of established in that uh in that sort of wisdom is is tatvanishtha uh the fifth one was interesting it's atyantika labha and kind of saying what is atyantika labha the atyantika labha is something which is the biggest of the biggest gains or a gain beyond which you cannot go and sort of effectively saying that this is something that is bigger than everything else and everything else becomes insignificant uh, and again a lot of this stuff is something that you you, you can only imagine because obviously we're in a very we we're, we're, we're still at the sort of the beginning of a journey if you will but it gives you a flavor of what that might be uh, the sixth one is around atyantika dukha nivritti where you have the ability to deal with all kind of negative uh, you know you know things that happen to you in life and uh, there's an interesting way of looking at it is to kind of saying if you if you're faced with some some tragedy or some shock instead of saying what why did it happen you kind of take a moment and say so what it's okay right so that's an important sort of way of looking at it and the last one is actually a slightly nuanced thing it's dukha samyoga vyoga which is <clears throat> it's not as if the number 3 which is atyantika sukham will come it's there it's it's not like a mystic pleasure which will come or something that is new it's it's that that infinite ananda which will which uh, which is already there and uh, it's like uh, the example of a, of a doctor 
who gives you medication to remove the obstacle, uh, he doesn't change your body, right? Similarly, the, 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 the obstacles go away and the true nature kind of comes forth. So again, a lot of this is stuff that at least at this point sounds very theoretical, but it gives a flavor of what does Samadhi kind of lead to. And interestingly, I, I, I mean, I just realized it, that Samadhi is really a sandhi of two words, Sama and Dhi. And Sama means evenness and Dhi is the mind. So Samadhi is nothing but an evenness of mind. Uh, it's a pretty simple thing, but obviously for me, it was, it was something new. Okay, so that's that's third slide. Just go on, Rajesh. Okay, so I just put down a few other thoughts, which uh, I picked up from the various notes, which is uh, 6.24 to 32 talks about what is the phalam. And the phalam is that, you know, you have very different perspective of, of the world. And, uh, and then there's a whole sort of uh, shloka on samadarshana where you know, whether you are like uh, um, uh, uh, a Brahm Brahmin or a dog or a dog eater or whatever, everything is the same, right? So every, you look at everything in a, with, with a certain level of equality and there is no ragadvesha. So ragadvesha, atita. So that's kind of the, the concept of Thyanafalam. Uh, I, I quite like the whole uh, section, four or five uh, shlokas on what are the obstacles and what is the solution? So dhyana pratibandha and dhyana parihar. Uh, the obstacle is very simple. It's distracted mind, right? Which is what meditation is trying to, to, to get over. And the remedies are, interestingly, vairagyam, which is being dispassionate about the material sort of world. And there is nothing which succeeds like practice. So abhyasa is a, is a fundamental kind of uh, remedy to get over the distracted mind of Vikshepa. Uh, and Swami SPG actually adds a third one, which is he talks about bhakti, because bhakti adds to the faith and therefore that helps with sort of removing the, the distractions uh, and helps, helps build concentration. And, and then the last one is actually was very interesting because this is based on Arjuna's question where he kind of, like many of us again, he asked the question as to what happens if I don't get moksha and I've kind of put all this effort over, over several years, is it all wasted? And, and Swami, P, Swami SPG actually, so not SPG, Swami P actually says, there are only two outcomes at the end of you know, your, your current life. Either you get moksha, which is great, but at the minimum, you would get, get you'll go to heaven, you'll get swarga. So, and he takes, takes the example of a spiritual failure of one janma becomes a genius in the next janma. And he, he uses the example of somebody like Adi Shankaracharya, who kind of obviously was a prodigious spiritual person, but he must have been a yoga bhrashta from the previous uh, birth. So, so he talks about that. The other thing he talks about is that, you know, once you gain spiritual vasanas, they don't get destroyed they just go into this latent form. So there is nothing called uh, spiritual decline. There could be spiritual stagnation, which is possible, but there's no, nothing called spiritual decline. And, and he takes the example of, of burning ambers, where you know, we think there is, no, there is no fire, but if you blow, it will sprout up, right? So he says there is no question of fall. 
it, it, it remains in once the right conditions are created, it will come back. Uh, and then he goes on to say that if you go to Swarga, uh, you will come back in a, in, a, in a household which is conducive for spiritual study uh, and your, your, your journey continues. So again, an example of a traveler who's, who kind of, you know, walks a certain distance, stops at night, and then next morning he doesn't have to go back and do the same thing again, he can move forward. So the vasanas don't get destroyed and that's kind of uh, uh, an important element. And then I think the last couple of slides, a couple of shlokas were more around, you know, of the four yogas that I put on, the, on, on slide two, I think, uh, he talks about Nidhyasana being the most, most important because that's the closest to moksha uh, in simple words. And, uh, and he also talks about how bhakti helps. This is Swami uh, SPG. He also talks about how bhakti is an important uh, aspect to be able to kind of close that gap between, between perceived reality and actual reality. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's kind of broadly where I kind of put my, my notes down. Um, I'm going to stop there. Just yeah, awesome, is, yeah. Awesome, yeah. yeah. Very comprehensive, Ajay. Ajay. Super. Some more is there. <laughs> One more slide, I saw. 6.1. Yeah, there's some, there's some notes, Subhu, which I don't think I want to go through. Okay. Brilliant, yeah. Simply brilliant. I think very detailed, very informative. Thank you so much. I think uh, I think you've taken also great pains and effort to get this done for us. Thank you. And I hope you'll be sharing this, yeah? I, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on the group. Thank you. Yeah, simply brilliant. Very nice. Thank you, Ajay. Good reference. It's a great... I liked it uh, the way you... Ajay. Absolutely spectacular. I mean, this is... Uh... I've joined us for a long time. Uh, happy to this is this is wonderful, Ajay. No, thanks, guys. I really like the way you linked up the two, right? The Ashtanga Yoga and Chapter Six. So, I really like the analogy. So, obviously, there is in-depth understanding of both sides, right? So, it's good, very nice. Yeah. Yeah, this is actually uh, Kishore is not here today. Uh, okay. But okay. Kishore is somebody who was always asking as to how the two link up. And then I okay. kind of chanced upon a couple of lectures which, which had that. So I thought, let me just kind of compile wonderful. them together. Wonderful, you, wonderful. you know, one of the things that I'm actually thinking about, Ajay, maybe we should mm -hmm. talk about it later on. Uh, let me just uh, pause the recording for a second. Uh, actually, it can be. I think maybe after we finish Gita, we should probably we should probably move to Aparokshanabhuti and maybe do that. Because Aparokshanabhuti actually true. compares Ashtanga Yoga and uh, and uh, and uh, the Vedanta uh, path and how everything is mapped on with totally different definitions to common words is very beautiful. Right. No, I have done half of it, so I, I haven't gone to the other end. But yeah, we should do that. That that's a brilliant text. Yeah. So, any any questions for Rajai? Just one. Um, you know, uh, I would say a query as well as uh, an observation. Because I was also heavily influenced by Swami P when I summarized. So, um, you know, when we talk about the posture, like, you know, if you go to that slide on uh, Pyramid, you know, where we talked about um, 6.1 to 6.9, and then later 6.6 to 6, we, we call that as uh, Bahiranga Sadhana, right? Bahiranga external Sadhana, one. Yeah. External mm -hmm. one. And then uh, 6.10 to 6.15 is the Antaranga Sadhana or the internal uh, internal one, right? So, 
I mean, uh, because we're later when I also summarize the same way, but uh, why would we consider posture as an internal one and not an external one? Just uh, so the way I understood it, uh, Satya, is that you know the posture, the you know these where you're seated or you know what time you do, etc., is uh, related to antaranga only because that is a preparatory step to be able to do the antaranga sadhana. So it is it is not what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. You wouldn't do that for the 23 and a half hours. You would do, only do that for the 30 minutes that you're, you're, you're actually practicing meditation. And so it's an integral part of that, you know, internal sort of discipline that you, you, want, to, you want to develop. So the Bahiranga sadhana is something that you... It's like practice um, that you do on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, how do you conduct yourself? What you do, what you don't, right? This is like, you know, how do you live in the material world? Whereas uh, the Antaranga Sadhana is how do you kind of connect with yourself? And before you connect with yourself, how do you kind of position yourself? Okay. Um, so on, on that point, you know, the practice of Ashtanga Yoga, and I think... Kishore, if he was here, would be, would be able to give more chapter and verse on this. But it's not just the posture on its own or, or, or breath on its own or drishti on its own, the three, three elements. The three together, uh, when, when they work, I mean, if you look at it, it's actually antithetical in that we are asking the mind to get still when it is the mind, body, the blood system, the endocrine system, everything that we have. Is, is geared towards activity always. So when this is training for the three of them to work in a way that the, then the mind can go off and do its own magic with, uh, you know, towards, towards meditation, dhyan, and et cetera. Um, so, so the three work together. It's not individually. So you can, you know, the, the act of meditation is you sit cross-legged and sit still. Uh, then breath comes in, you know, one of the things that Radish taught us first when we were doing meditation was breath. Uh, but then Drishti goes along with that as well. But this is through through an active coordination of those three. And and the whole sort of the Stranga A series alone takes about one hour, 20 minutes to do. So it's, it's not a 30 minute exercise. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know the, the full sort of Ashtanga yoga process, uh, Vivek, but I mean, the way I understood it was that meditation is something that, you know, each one their own. And, you know, you could do it for 30 minutes, you could do it for an hour. Uh, but doing it properly and, you know, making sure that you're focused is more important. And as, as long as you're doing, you know, practice and, in, you know, increasing it over time and getting more focus is then you're on the right track. Great. VP? Yeah, hi. Uh, excellent presentation, Ajay. Loved it. Uh, just a clarification. So when you were talking about Swami be saying that, you know, you your uh, uh, journey doesn't stop in this and you're always making progress and you don't regress. Uh, mm -hmm. But something I read, uh, there's a text called Hidaya Manthan and uh, Altna had referred that. So in that, the Swamiji had talked about that within this lifetime, uh, you keep moving up and down. Um, so whereas, you know, you may, um, you may continue moving forward across uh, births, 
but in one particular lifetime you could regress so i was just trying to you know reconcile the two uh, different mm-hmm. um, ideas that yeah, i so, picked up you know, so vp just thank, thank you for that i mean one of the things that swami uh, this is swami p actually so one of the things he said was that uh, you know when you if you kind of fall off the path you know this often people say that this person was very spiritual and now he's fallen off he says the person has not fallen off he seems to have fallen off right because his practices may not reflect what he might he or she may have done in the past but he says in the vasanas it still is there right it's just kind of it's in a sort of latent sort of hidden state uh and that it will sort of it it never goes away so you might be right that during the during a lifetime you might go up and down uh, you know in terms of your spiritual sort of uh, inclinations but the mm-hmm. but what's been created in the sort of system if you will is is not going anywhere that's that's how i understood it but but yeah i mean that's something which is worth sort of reflecting on because you know at least in in sort of my sort of i i've seen people who have been seriously spiritual and then one day kind of saying well this is all bullshit so i don't know what you know they they've been instances of that <laughs> uh so rajesh maybe you want to comment on that yeah so let me let me share uh, uh, vp that's a great question the way that i think about it is let's say that you're 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 going up to everest okay on the path you suddenly or to your left or you're to your right you see a beautiful garden you decide that you just take a diversion from the work from the, the climb that you're doing to the everest go to the garden enjoy the garden for some time okay then come back again to your path and then continue mm <clears throat> okay um no that that makes sense i and you're right uh, ajay i think the vasanas continue to be there uh, but the practices may you know shift uh, and i i wish kishore was here because i think he or krishna i forget who, who had talked about you know creating groups in mind so the whole idea of doing the practices is to um deepen those groups quote and quote uh, because you're trying to move on that path and and therefore to the extent you get uh, digress like uh, rajesh was explaining and you sit in the garden too long those groups will uh, sort of fill up in in a way that you know you will perhaps will need to again go back a little bit to uh, open up those groups mm-hmm. is how yeah is the confusion like i'm trying to uh, yeah understand so anyway yeah but but, but again uh, you're right uh, you know those are things that we experience uh, in our own sort of uh you know day to day stuff but both spg and and swami p have been emphatic about it saying that there is nothing called a spiritual downfall uh but i think at a practical level i think the way you describe the grooves makes sense that you know some of them will get filled and then you got to clean it up or whatever but fundamentally the vasanas remain yeah right there is a story I, I... there is a story about this uh you know adi shankaracharya when uh, he actually uh you know he uh, gets gets questioned by uh, uh one of the ladies debating him asking him to kind of you know uh, uh debate him on 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 uh, the matters of sex and he says boss i am a brahmachari i can't do it but then he goes off and then he decides that he will enter the body of a king and then experience what that uh, uh sexual relationship is and then come back and then debate her and then he goes and he becomes that you know goes to the body of the king and then he starts enjoying that king and while his real you know his shankaracharya body is kept somewhere 
and then he's he tells his uh, uh, students disciples that you know at some point of time when i'm stuck deeply into it you got to remind me about about the pig wallowing in the mud okay and when you remind me about the pig wallowing in the mud then i will know my true nature then i will stop this and then come back to that so it's like the pig wallowing in the mud you know I'll, if we have to take a diversion we are like going off into something that we are not supposed to be doing but somehow enjoying that particular stuff and then we come back again yes he comes back mm. guns like he won't be shankaracharya if he didn't come back <laughs> i know <laughs> go ahead guns ask a question hey it's uh, a beautiful uh, summary ajay thanks a lot for this and it's it's so comprehensive um how you move through the different stages um the i'm going back to the beginning of what you were saying the thoughtlessness versus the flow uh, of thoughts um <clears throat> and there was a uh difference or uh, different perspective between vedanta and uh, how yoga um or sankhya calls it and maybe they do those two are themselves different um was there any uh, any more insight into that because i know kishore is not here he he loves to uh, um introspect on this one particularly because i i know we had a discussion on the same topic from last time uh, there were different types of samadhi in, the, in that book that um he recommended i was reading and and continuing to do that by uh, it's it's yoga sutras book patanjali um patanjali's book so anyway uh, there the recommendation is you have to stop all thinking the interpretation of that could be is to get your focus right when you are meditating uh, right i i remember kishore mentioning that but but just want to see where uh, your mind was that uh, your mind was on that particular thing like thoughtlessness versus getting yeah. the focus right you know yeah i mean look i mean i think i mean <clears throat> i'm i'm I, i don't know enough to be able to give any coherent sort of explanation but the the way at least vedanta looks at it is that you know if you you know if you know the fact that you are you cannot be thoughtless because your mind will always have a thought that is a fundamental sort of uh you know way they way vedanta approaches it and so they so what they say is that if if the mind is thinking then thoughtlessness is a mirage and therefore it it actually talks at great great length about this uh, flow of similar thoughts to say mm. rather than sort of have random thoughts let them come let them go but keep your my keep coming back to that one single thought and make sure that that one single thought continues for a length of time right and that will then allow you to sort of focus mm. because you can't focus on nothing because there isn't nothing because mind will think something that's kind of how vedanta approaches it sankhya has a different way of thinking about it and i've been to sort of meditation camps where where i've been told that you know you should just kind of if I, if any thought comes let it you know just let it out and i i've never been able to practice it but you know doing japa and kind of having a similar thought seems to work uh but again yeah. i think this is something that we should maybe get to show to sort of vein on 
when he's there next week or or whenever. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's very nice. Ajay. Um, sorry, go ahead. Beautiful. Yeah, if I may add a little bit on this one. So even if it is a nirvikalp samadhi where there is thoughtlessness, it is still a state you go in and come out. You're not mm. constantly in the nirvikalp samadhi. So hence it can't be liberation. Liberation doesn't go away once you are liberated. So that's the differentiation between um, Vedantic liberation and uh, Patanjali Yoga Sutra, where the highest state is to be in the Nirvikalp Samadhi, but it is time bound. You go in and come out. And then when you come out, you lead a normal life. Yeah. That is a great preparation because once you get that, you can get the Jnana as well. So the other difference is why this focus on sajatiya because eventually for liberation the mind needs to take the shape of brahma brahmakar vritti brahmakar vritti the focusing of mind is very useful again it is not mandatory when the right time comes when the guru says tattvamasi the mind can take that vritti but in most cases, if you have practiced just focusing on one thing and one thing that you want to, not anything, that is what is the Vedantic Nididhyasana, where you pick up one thought and just try to focus on that thought. And that is the Vijatiya Prithi, not, yeah. not things. And, and it is easier to do than Patanjali Yoga Sutra, where you have to do Mano Nigraha or you have to remove the thoughts so it's a harder way to do it Those yeah that's no that's yeah. beautiful alpana thank thanks for that because i that you answered my question because i was coming to nididhyasanam and and the focus of the thought so so that uh, and and maybe they all converge into one like you said like nirvikalpa is is uh, time bound uh, however stilling of the mind may be just you know, making it without ripples and getting that focus. So because they are potentially... Yeah, potent once you're there, the moment a guru comes along and says, Tattvamasi, you will get it. Even in the case of... Uh, even in the case of... Uh, uh, <coughs> yoga, yoga, even in the yoga method. Right. Because the yoga method doesn't talk about knowledge being a prerequisite. Yeah, because they don't even talk about the Advaita, One, right? The oneness, yeah. So, but you are so prepared by doing those practices that the moment a guru comes along or you hear it from anywhere, Tathvamsi, you'll get it then. So it is a very right. ripe state. So obviously a great one to have, but it is not mandatory. And Nididhyasan, eventually, the only thought that you focus on is Aham Brahma. Aham Brahma, Brahmakar. Yeah, so this is a, this is a difference, but... There's a lot of commonality, but it's very subtle or, or sukshma difference. So yeah. thanks for pointing that out. The practice is very Thank similar. You. It's just the conceptually it is different. Yeah. 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 Great okay. discussion. Thank you. Uh, Sandeep, you had a question. You had raised your hand. Actually, uh, I was just going to add to what Ajay was saying that um, I don't do meditation anymore. I used to. So uh, I learned meditation through Ikna Vishwaran's book. Uh, 
and what he recommends is um, passage meditation which is you take a long passage and it should be long enough that it takes effort to memorize it it should be full of good thoughts and then you just uh, keep repeating that right the process of memory of focusing on the words getting them right sharpens focuses your mind and you're filled with so it's not thoughtlessness there is there is an there is an eventual thoughtlessness that comes but initially you're just filling your mind with beautiful thoughts so uh, he's actually speaking to uh, 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 an american audience so he recommends the prayer of st francis which is a beautiful prayer and you keep reciting it and your mind is full of these beautiful thoughts and then somewhere you know much later in in time uh, you you experience that thoughtlessness is hmm. uh, uh, which book of eknatheshwaran does he describe the uh, way of meditation please do you remember uh, it goes by it, it i read it as meditation by eknatheshwaran but okay. i think it's also available as passage meditation okay thank you so what what sandeep described the way that i understand is it that's a, that's one style of nididhyasana mm. okay any other questions for rajay or comments from anybody else so i just ha- had this uh, this thing asana in bhagavad gita chapter 6 talks only about the posture of sitting uh, mm. but in the ashtanga yoga asana is that all the yoga asanas that uh, they talk about right it's preparation of your body to go through the journey uh, through uh, this thing right so uh, yeah yeah so, yeah just you're right i mean you, you, you in 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 patanjali yoga sutra they actually prescribe doing the asanas which then helps you get into the right posture for meditation yeah cool thank you so i just want to add to that on the posture i i cannot sit cross legged my body does not allow me to do it so i used to actually lie down and do do yoga to do meditation just lie down in shavasan and uh, so actually posture just needs to be something that you're comfortable with but you know in in uh, you know in in the in 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 chapter 6 also i mean there is it's very prescriptive actually about how you know the back should be straight and you know you should be stable and all that stuff so it it actually prescribes uh, you know exactly how you should sit but you're right i mean a lot of us are unable to do that for a certain period of time and i think one of the reasons why yoga uh, in 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 the yoga sort of sutras they they prescribe doing a lot of the 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 yogasanas essentially to prepare the body to be able to sit in that right position during meditation um i think i remember asking rajesh once whether you could just sort of sit on a chair or lie down on your back and i think rajesh you had said that the ideal thing is to try and find a way to be straight as much as possible 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, any posture is okay as long as you're comfortable. And let's say that you, you, it's like a voluntary decision what you take, right? Say that for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to maintain this posture. The point is, you know, there are certain postures which are more conducive. There are certain postures which naturally uh, are not conducive. For example, you know, uh, sitting straight helps your body to, uh, uh, you know, balance your weight and all that stuff in a much more easier way. And then you're not disturbed by some of the things that happen around. Um, lying down is also okay, but there's a danger with lying down is that uh, you get into a sleep mode and uh, it happens quite often. And then we think that we're meditating and we kind of, you know, delusional that we think that we're meditating sometimes, but we're actually sleeping. Honestly, that's the reality. It's happened to me multiple times. And I'm pretty sure you can relate to what I'm saying. So if you're not able to, uh, you know, manage that stage where you lie down and uh, you're not able to go into, uh, you're, you're, you know, you're going into sleep. If you're able to manage that, then that seems okay. But most people, I think it will get very difficult. Yeah. In, fa in fact, in uh, the prescriptive, uh, sorry, in fact, in the prescriptive description of how do you sit, it actually says, keep your eye open that wee bit. Uh, to make sure that you're not sort of in touch with the outside world, so because yeah. that would be a distraction. Yeah. At the same time, you keep it open so that you don't snooze. So there is an element of that also in the way the postures are are yeah. are described. Right. So uh, just uh, just a tip for those who cannot sit cross-legged, Vajrasana is also a, a posture in which your spine is uh, absolutely straight. Yeah. Uh, if you can do that. Uh, that that's okay too. Or sit on the chair. Yeah, sit on the chair. It's okay. Yes. It's okay. No problem. Yeah. Anyway, so that's great discussion in terms of the practical aspects of meditation. So uh, here is a here is a question. I'm kind of in a slightly changing the topic a little bit, right? So um, you know, uh, maybe it's a repeat of a question that we've had in the past. So the question is, you know, after we've done chapter six, how has uh, each one's practice of Meditation has changed. So, so if, I, if, I can, if I can share my experience, I was very, very confused about what should be the, you know, object of meditation. The, the whole sort of debate between thoughtlessness or a thought or, you know, what happens if I get other thoughts, what do I do? And, you know, there are different schools of thoughts with different sort of approaches. But where I've kind of now sort of zeroed down is to, you know, just just focus on a ishtadevta or an object of meditation. If other thoughts come, you know, come back to the original thought, and uh, so I, at least I'm 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 not I'm still not sort of doing med too much meditation or too long, but at least I I'm clear about what I'm trying to do. Great. That's that's uh, that's amazing. I think you, you uh, what you're saying is that you know the purpose of what you're meditating for. One is the purpose, and also you know earlier I would be okay. Let me try thoughtlessness, and then I would kind of try that, and I don't know, I won't go go anywhere, and then you would try something else, right? Because somebody else told you something on the fly. But now I'm like clear that okay, this is what I want to do. Good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. But I'm just going to focus on this and try and see if this works. Got it. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And also there's a danger, right? You know, sometimes when you say meditation, because 
there's so much quote unquote literature and free publicly available information on internet and what meditation is, it sometimes is not congruent to what dhyana as described in Bhagavad Gita or Upanishads is. And that's where some of the confusions do indeed come up, actually. So for me, Gutak's uh, chapter six uh, prompted me to uh, take a resolution that I would meditate every day. Earlier, I used to like, uh, you know, alternate between the physical fitness activities and meditation. I used to do three days of meditation and the other days of uh, fitness, but uh, I thought I would wake up 45 minutes sooner starting uh, this new year and uh, meditate every day. So let's see how how long I can sustain that. But uh, yeah, that's, that's what changed after I read chapter six. I thought it's really important that I do an everyday practice. Simply commendable, Uday. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? Awesome. Fantastic. So with that, uh, you know, Ajay, thank you so much for the wonderful, you know, reflection in chapter six. I think we, it was, it was more like, you know, um, uh, even after after a gap of a month or so, you kind of you know get get a flurry of activities, and now suddenly the mind is revising the entire chapter six in such a nice way that you know you want to you you start remembering and then going forward with what what the practice that you that one is doing. So it reinforces. Thank you so much for this. Thanks, everyone. All right, so I am going to pause this now and uh...